Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We come with eager expectation of what it is you will say to us. We believe wholeheartedly that this is your revealed and divine word which you have given us to know you and to know how to live in this world. And so we pray that you would teach us today because we know that we desperately need you. We know that apart from you, God, we can do nothing. That in ourselves, we quickly become lost, deceived, and tricked. But we have your word to lead us and guide us. And we have your Holy Spirit abiding in us, reminding us of your word. So help us today, we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 134. This is where we're going to be uh, today. And I want to encourage you to fully embrace what we're going to be saying. My encouragement to you is pay attention. And if you feel that you're getting distracted or that you're getting tired, get up, go outside, get a coffee or water or tea, whatever your beverage of choice is. Amen. Our theme for 2023 is unity, love one another. Next week, and we'll be starting a new sermon series called The One Another's. We're going to be looking at how we, as the people of God, are called to live in unity with each other. We, the church, are to love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, speak truth to one another, bear with one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another. These are all texts from the New Testament epistles where we learn what it means for us to live in unity. These are the observable behaviors and characteristics of what it means to be the family of God. A few weeks ago, the last time I preached, I preached on Psalm 133. And we were encouraged, if you remember, to think about how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That God commands His blessing in the midst of His people as they share life together. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 134. Both of these psalms were a part of, of a collection of 14 psalms. So from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, they were called the Psalms of Ascent. They were sung by the people of God as they made their pilgrimage from their homes to the temple to come to celebrate the yearly festivals. And as they walked in groups and in caravans together, they sang these songs to encourage one another. Why? Because they were ascending to the city of Jerusalem, which was on a mount, and to the temple to come together and to worship God. Make sense? This final psalm of this set, Psalm 134, was different from the first 13 because it was sung on the way back home. Are you with me? So this is what we're singing as we go to the temple to go and worship God, as we celebrate whether it was Passover or whether it was uh, Pentecost. And then on the way back home, this is what we sing. And so we're going to look at the psalm today that the people of God sung as they made their way from the temple and Jerusalem back home. We don't know who the author of this psalm is. But it's written as a dialogue song. It's written as a conversation that is happening between the people of God and the servants of God. So what you have in verses 1 and 2 are the people of God who are speaking 
to the ministers of God. And then in verse 3, you have the minister of God speaking a benediction or a blessing over the people of God. Does this make sense? I'm going to try to help this make sense. Children, how many of you can read? Awesome. So we're going to practice this, okay? You, you with me? You, the church, the people of God, are going to read out verses 1 and 2 to me. And I, in turn then, when you are done, am going to respond in reading verse 3 to you. So children, I want to encourage you to participate. The whole church, I'm going to count us down from three to one. When I get to one, people of God begin reading at a nice, gentle pace. Everybody with me? Any questions? That's pretty clear, no? Ready? Three, two, one. Verse 3 is me. The servant of the Lord, the servants of the Lord, now speaking to the people of God. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let me give you the context of how this happened so that we can understand what the meaning of this psalm is. The writer of the psalm is writing as if he is both the people of God and the servant of God. Does that make sense? How is this conversation happening? The people of Israel have come to Jerusalem and they've come to the temple to celebrate one of the yearly festivals. They have been in the city for weeks, likely, worshiping God together in the temple. And now they're leaving. But they're leaving very early in the morning, likely at daybreak. It would have still been dark. Why? Because the people of God would have wanted to take advantage of the whole day to begin traveling back home. Does that make sense? In the ancient world, you traveled in caravans in groups of people, and you never traveled that night. Guess why? Robbers and thieves. And so you would take advantage of the daylight to travel as a group. And then once nightfall started to come, you would camp. And then again, you would wake up early the next day, and then you would travel until you made your way back home. Sometimes it would take days, other times it would take weeks, depending on where from Israel you were coming towards Jerusalem. You with me? So it is the break of day and the people of God are passing by the gate of the temple court and they are looking into the temple court and they are seeing the servants of God who are on the night shift the temple had ministers serving in it 24 hours a day and you either had the day shift or you had the night shift these ministers were priests, Levites, and guards. And they were there fulfilling their duties unto God and also to protect the temple in itself from thieves. There were 240 Levites and 30 priests on duty every single night. Levites, they kept watch over the temple area. The temple was a massive complex that had to be patrolled during the day and the night. Every gate had to be patrolled to make sure that nobody was trying to get in. The temple precinct had many different gates. Levites, some of them also played music all night long. There was continual music in the temple 24 hours a day to, be, to give praise unto God. Other Levites had cleaning duties. Priests 
worked inside and outside of the sanctuary. The sanctuary was the most important structure within the temple precinct. Are you with me? You see, the temple mount, the precinct, it was massive. There was the outer Gentile court surrounded by a massive wall. And then within that court, there was the court of, 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 of the women, of where the women could come. And then there was the court of the priests, where only the priests could come. And then within that, within that court was this actual sanctuary. Are you with me? And in this sanctuary, there was the most holy place. And behind the curtain of the holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, where the physical presence of God was through the Ark of the Covenant. Are you with me? The high priest only went into the most holy place once a year to make offering and sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the people. Are we with me? Outside of that most holy of places was the holy place in the sanctuary still. So you, you, you imagine one building, one structure, and behind this curtain is the most holy of holy places where the presence of God is resting. And on the other side of the curtain is the holy place. And that's where the showbread was. Twelve representing one tribe for each air, for each one loaf for each tribe made fresh every single day in the temple and there were also 10 lampstands this was the only light that was in the sanctuary it was the light of those 10 lampstands which were made of gold god commanded that the light of those lamps be on continuously always. I'm not sure how it is at your house. But in my house, I walk around, I see lights on, and guess what I do? Why? Electricity is expensive. But God commanded that within his sanctuary, that these lamps remain on always 24 hours a day. So one of the jobs that these priests had overnight was to ensure that there was pure olive oil in each lamp to make sure that the lights never went off. Outside of the sanctuary was the court of the priests. And in that court of the priests was the altar of burnt offerings. It was here that people would bring their sacrifice to appease their sin before God. They would bring an animal. That animal would be brought. The person would place their hand on the animal as if transferring their sin to that animal so that that animal can make propitiation for their sin before God. That animal was then slaughtered and killed. You're loving this, right, kids? It was slaughtered and killed, and then it was placed on the altar to be consumed by the fire so that God's wrath would be appeased so that the Israelite would have been forgiven. <clears throat> Are you guys with me? This is how God forgave people in the Old Testament. And we know that this foreshadows the New Testament of Jesus Christ being the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That his death on the cross is to appease God's holy wrath so that you and I can be forgiven of our sin. Amen? Are you with me? I know it's warm in here. I can feel it too. But just take it in. Are you with me? So another role that the priest had was to ensure, because God demanded, that the burnt offering altar always be lit with fire. And so they had to ensure that there were burnt offerings all night long burning on the altar of the Lord. Why? What do these lights signify? Well, these lights... These fires reminded the servants of God, these priests, and all of the people of Israel that God was in their midst and that God was ministering among them, that God was himself making a way for, their, for his people to be forgiven. You need to understand, even though you sit there right now and you're not doing anything, God is working on your behalf.
That's why these lights had to stay on always. A reminder to God's people that God was always in their midst. Yet, let's be honest. The night shift was the most difficult. Because during the silence of night, the temple was very quiet. And there were very few people present. There was a lot of dead time with nothing in particular to do other than carry out their duties. It would, it would have been very tempting to find a quiet place and take a nap. Yet, it was sin to, to sleep while you were on duty serving the Lord. And so, many times, it would have been challenging for these priests who were on night watch and these Levites to stay awake and to give God their very, very best. This is the context of this psalm. This is what we need to understand as we are reading. The people of God who are now leaving the temple, making their way back home, the last words they speak to the servants of God who are serving God during the night shift are these words. First, servants worship the Lord. That's the first thing we see right away. What's the first thing that the people of God say to the servants of God? What is it? The first word? Come. This is both a challenge and a warning. A challenge because it's a call to action. Come. It's an invitation to the priests and the Levites to pay attention to what they're called to do. That the work that they're doing during the night is significant work. These servants need to stay focused. In the dead of night, What these ministers are doing, it can seem insignificant. Do you know why? Because it's out of sight of people. Are, are you with me? Oh, how do people know that what I'm doing is important if they never see me doing it? And so often, that's our temptations, right? Do you know that the majority of work that I do as a pastor, you never see? Do you know that the majority of people have a wrong understanding of what it is I do all day? Because you don't know. And so it's tempting many times for pastors to have to go around saying what they do, social media, making it look like they're super busy, as if that's what they do all day, every day. Because you know the saying, right? Out of sight, out of And so these servants of God could have been tempted to think that their work is insignificant because no one is watching what they're doing. But there is one who is watching. The Lord. So the people are challenging the servants of God and saying, hey, stay focused because what you're doing matters. It's also a warning. Hey, stay awake. Wake up. It's during the night. Don't become idle. Don't be lazy. This is your shift. How many people here work during the night? Is it easy? Thanks, Cesar. Emmanuel, is it easy? Anika? Coffee after coffee after coffee after coffee. Hard! And this is a warning. Don't be idle. Don't get distracted. Because you know when we get most distracted, it's when we are tired. Distraction is the opposite of staying focused. 
And when we're not focused on the task, it's really easy, listen, to go through the motions. How many of you know how easy it is in our work and coming to gather as God's people as in going through the motions? Do you know what going through the motions is? Just doing it because you know you need to do it, but your heart isn't there. Listen, I want you to think about what your marriage will, be like, what your marriage will look like if you just go through the motions. I want to see how long you're going to be at your job if you just go through the motions. And it's so easy sometimes when we get distracted just to do things because we know we need to do things. And you can ask people these questions. Hey, why do you gather as, as a church? Well, that's what I've always done. Bad reason. Oh, like, why do you get involved in your church? I don't know. Someone told me I should. Bad reasons. Well, why are you here? Oh, because this is what I've always done. And, and these servants are not to be just going through the motions. Oh, another week, another dollar. Are you hearing me? Can you imagine these priests? They look in the sanctuary. Oh, look, all the lampstands are lit. And then they leave the sanctuary and they go to the altar and they're like, yeah, there's probably enough fire there and enough carcasses there for the next four hours. Let me go on social media and see what's happening. Let me go see what everybody else is doing. When, we're there, when what they're supposed to do is what? Come. Stay focused. Pay attention. Understand what it is that you're doing. Can you imagine... Roger, can you imagine if when people leave here today, there is a line outside the theater with me standing there and everybody looking me in the face and say, pay attention this week, William, that make sure that you're serving the Lord. This is what's happening. The, the people here are encouraging and stirring up those who are serving God and say, hey, you make sure you know what you're doing all week, every day, every minute. You're serving God. Can you imagine? Man, I would be going pumped. I would forget that tomorrow is a holiday. With how encouraged. And this is what's happening. Why? Why do they need to come? Why do they need to stay focused? Why do they not, why can they not get distracted? Come. What's next? Bless the Lord. Like, listen, you need to understand that what you're doing during the night is worshiping God. And, and, and as you work in your tasks, worship God. Why? Because you are what? Servants of the Lord. This is your job. This is your duty. This is what God has called you to. You can't just go through the motions. Your heart's got to be in this because God called you and you're his servant. And what you're supposed to be spending your time doing here is what? Worshiping the Lord. You see, the word bless here in verse 1 means to adore, to praise, to call out who God is and what he's done. This is a command. It's a verb. It's a command. It's something that you need to do. It's an action. Again, imagine you leaving here today, looking me in the eyes and say, William, this week, you worship the Lord. You worship the Lord. And guess what I'm going to say to you? You better go too, and you go worship the Lord too. That's what's happening here. Pay attention, stay focused. And as you serve the Lord during the night when nobody's watching and where you think it's out of everybody's sight, God is watching, so you better worship. And when you work, call out to God who he is and what he's done. Don't let your time working seem as if it's insignificant, but instead spend that time calling out to God who he is. Make good use of it. Why? Why? 
because the Lord is worthy. We pray. Why? Because God is worthy and we are needy. That as they know that he is in their midst, that should cause them to worship the Lord. What better place to worship God than when these people are serving in the sanctuary and in the temple? Knowing that what they're doing is actually worship. And we're going to see in verse 2 that their work, the tasks that might seem mundane and very just basic, like picking up ashes from the, the altar of incense, is not important. And where the, the people will say, no, 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 that's worshiping God. When you pick up ashes, you're worshiping God. What? Who are they to worship? Bless the... You know what the word Lord here is in the original? It was a tentagram, four letters. It wasn't even spoken of by the people of Israel. They wouldn't say it because God's name was holy. And we translate that into English and we get the name Jehovah. The word Jehovah means the one true God. <laughs> like, it's almost as if, like the people of God is saying, do you understand the seriousness of what we're doing here? <laughs> like, you're serving God and you have the opportunity to bless God, the one true God, in all that you're doing. So do it. Right? Because you're his servants. Right? And then you get the context, right? Who what? Stand by night in the house of the Lord. So you don't just worship God because of who he is. You worship God because the place where you are right now matters. This house, this temple, this sanctuary is where God's presence abides. So take it serious. My brothers and sisters, when you gather here and when you come together here, I want you to know that this is the house of God. No, William, it's Cineplex Theater. Yes, I know. This is theater number three, number two. Number two, right? I'm making sure we're all in the same place. But when we gather together in his name, God's presence is in our midst through the Holy Spirit. This is the house of God. Why? Because the people of God are here. And the people of God are here doing what? Worshiping the Lord. Amen? And so the people are saying, listen, understand that you're God's servants. That this is your role even during the night. And understand who you're worshiping. It's the Lord. It's the one true God. And not only understand who you're worshiping, but understand where you're worshiping. You're worshiping in the place where God's presence abides. Who this should excite us. That when we gather together, God is here with us. God is here with us. And you and I have the opportunity of what? Blessing the Lord, worshiping him. Amen? Imagine getting a call Saturday night. And the person on the phone is your brother or sister in Christ. And they say, hey, come, bless the Lord tomorrow morning with me. Imagine getting a call at 6 o'clock Sunday morning. And the person on the other side is your brother or sister in Christ. And they tell you, hey, in a few hours, come and join me. And let's go worship the Lord together. Can you imagine like, I want you to think about how excited are you when Sunday morning rolls around and you know that you're going to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and that you're going to come and join together to worship the Lord because of who he is and what he's done in your life and what he's done in our lives. Like, I wonder, do any of us get up giddy on Sunday morning? Because you know when people get up and when they're giddy is when they're going on a vacation. But guess what? Vacation lasts a week, two weeks, three weeks. Let me tell you, everybody here, for most of us, life will go back to normal starting tomorrow. Schedules, routines, kids back to school, activities, this, that, and life can be mundane, but it doesn't have to be mundane. Why? Because we have the opportunity on a weekly basis to gather together to worship the God who has saved us and delivered us from our sin. Are you excited? Do you care about that? Is that worth praising God? I wonder. 
Because when I get up Sunday morning, I'm like, whoa, I can't wait to see everybody's pretty faces. And I can't wait, even more importantly, to worship God together with those people. I can't wait to come together and to hear God's word. You don't understand how much I enjoy and how much it is a privilege for me to sit in my seat and hear people in our church preach. When Pastor Monica preaches, when Roger preaches, when Katie Christian preaches, when whoever preaches, when my beautiful wife preaches, she's going to preach in two weeks. You know why? Because I'm here just as excited because I know I need to hear from God. I need God to speak to me, to minister to me. And I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ because together we come and we worship God. He is worthy. The stirring up, right? Like you might think, what's that illustration? Why call Saturday night to stir up? To stir, right? To be like, put it on people's radar, right? Some people think it's weird that we follow up with people who aren't here on Sunday. Why do you guys follow up with me if I'm not there on Sunday? I'll tell you why. Because we want to stir you up to show up next week. Why? Because we want you to gather with us for us to be together to worship the Lord together. Oh, look, I tell people up front, we're not policing you. Um, so um, where were you on Sunday? Why weren't you at church? Hey, brother, we missed you so much. All well? Is everything okay? Because legitimately something could have happened. And if you're away on vacation, bless you. I was away for three weeks. I didn't feel guilty for one second. Neither should you, right? But when people are away, we have no clue what's happened to them. We want to ensure that everything is good. And we want to encourage them and stir them up to what? Come and to be together. Maybe not all of you. How many of you guys got an email from me last week telling you I was back from vacation? I want you to put your hands up really high. Really high. All right? Come on, guys. You guys got an email, a text message for me? I said email. Text message. Come on. Why? Why am I following up with you people? For what purpose? To encourage you. To stir you up. For us to come to get together. Amen? Yes or no? 100%. I'm sweating. How many of you want to be this kind of encourager? How many of you want to know that I am working as hard and as best as I can all week to serve you and to serve God? How many of you want to know that I work as hard as I can to put our sermon together so that I can come here and preach God's word? How many of you want to know that in every phone call, every counseling session, every uh, meeting, every interaction that we have, that we as ministers of God are supposed to bring our very breast to the Lord? Do you not want that for us as your servants? That we're not going through the motions? Imagine you show up to our church and I'm like, you say, hey, pastor, how are you? And I'm like, hey. Hey, how's it going? And you put out your hand and you're like, yeah. It's not what you expect, is it? So let's encourage one another. Verse 2. I, I just want to, I just want to, verse 2. Worship the Lord through your work. So in verse 2, the conversation continues. The people of God are speaking to the Levites and the priests, and what do they say next? Lift up your holy what does he say? Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And this could seem to become repetitive. But the first verse is very much focusing on pay attention, stay focused, understand that what you're doing is significant, right? Know who God is when you worship him in the place of where you're worshiping him. And then in verse 2, it's very much of now about the duty and the work, right? The, the lift up your hands here holy, in the holy place has two meanings. Okay? The first meaning is that it demonstrates dependency on God. In the ancient world, people would raise up their hands when they prayed to God. Because it demonstrated to God that they were in a place of receiving from Him. Are you guys with me? How many of you guys know what little children do 
when they need something from their parents. Yeah, Jason, you know now, right? You got your hands. Jason's like, yeah, every cry, I get it. She needs something, right? Kids are like, eh. why? Because children know that they are dependent on their parents for the things that they need and their care. It is no difference from us with God, our Heavenly Father. That as we raise up our hands, we're telling God, God, I, I surrender myself to you. I'm dependent on you. God, I need you. And so the people are saying, make sure that you, servants of God, you raise up your hands to the Lord. That, that you would know that in what you're doing, you need God to help you do it. That you're not serving God in your own human strength and ability, but instead you're relying on God and his spirit to be doing what you're doing. Right? Like, I would assume that none of you want me to come up here and to share just good human ideas with you. Do you? Three points to be a better husband. Take her out often, spend as much money as you can on her, and always say, yes, honey. See, don't say that, Marta, because that's not in the Bible. That's my human ideas. Yes, is there good wisdom in it? Absolutely. But not always all the time, men. Please. Like, we're... we're Looks like we're heading into a recession. Please. Joking aside, you come here because you want to hear from God, not from me. I'm not smart enough or wise enough. And when we lift up our holy hands, we tell God, God, I need you. I depend on you. I trust in you. And we come here to receive from him and from his word, not human ingenuity or manly wisdom. It is from the Lord. So not only does lifting up our hands signify that we depend on God and that we need Him, but it also is a declaration that we're giving to Him what we have and what we can do through our hands. Our work. All that we do. And so the people are saying, in all of the duties that you are carrying out in the house of the Lord, the holy place, what? Bless the Lord. Let your work be worship. Are you with me? Let your work be worship. That in all that you do. So when I'm home and I get a phone call that completely throws my day out the window and I need to care for somebody now and I'm supposed to be working on my sermon, guess what I do? I panic. Honestly. But then the second thing is, I have to remember that that phone call into that person, me serving them, is me what? blessing the Lord, that it is an act of worship for me to take my time for something that's interrupted my schedule to be able to care for that person. It's my job. It's my duty. It's my work. But this isn't just for me, brothers and sisters. This is for you also. Your work is worship. Your work is an act of worship. All that you do is unto the Lord. We're going to see that Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians. You see, so often in our lives, we have this tendency of separating what is sacred and holy and what is secular and earthly. You get what I'm saying? We come here, we, go, we gather as God's people, this is holy. But then when I'm, when I'm driving my truck, it's secular and God doesn't really care. Actually, God cares just as much. God cares just as much as how you cut your grass than he does when you're here worshiping him. And I'm saying this because I have to cut my grass. I'm being honest, it hasn't been cut for two weeks. I'm not worshiping God in that area. I'm being honest, being vulnerable. Jason, changing your daughter's diaper is just as much an act of worship as when you come here and you bring your tithes and offering. It is no different. You are worshiping God when you get in the car with your son and you drive him to his hockey practice or game as much as when you bring your child here so that they can go and learn the word of God. It is all worship unto the Lord. There is no such thing in our lives with those things that are sacred and holy and godly and those things which are not sacred or holy and just everyday whatever. Why? Because we who were far 
have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been saved. We were not his people. Now we're his people. And now because we're his people, we are his holy people because he is holy God, which means that all that we do must be holy unto our God. And what we do is worship. When you look in your wife's eyes and you tell her you love her, you are worshiping God. When you look at your kids and you say, please forgive me because I've sinned against you, you are worshiping God. Everything we do and everything we say has the potential of being worshipped unto God. This is what it says. This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. This is what he says, look. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? So in all that we do, what are we to do it to? We are to do it so that God gets glory through it. So I don't care if you're a lawyer or a hockey player. I don't care if you're a police officer, a nurse, or the vice president of a marketing agency. What I care is, what is the posture of your heart in what you're doing? Is it to worship the Lord through your actions and through your words? Or else we then just worship the Lord once a week. Or when we put Christian music on on our radios. You worship the Lord just as much every single day when you open up your Bible to read God's word as you do to open up a book and to read to your child. You worship God just as much if you're mentoring somebody here in our church or helping your kid do their homework. And this is the challenge that the people of God are giving to the servants of God. You need to understand that what you're doing, your hands, the work in itself, it is worship. So worship. Do it to the best of your ability. You guys get what I'm saying? Children, are you with me? Clap if you're here, children. Once again, children, if you're here, give me a clap. Children, once again. Wow, man, you guys are weak sauce. Come on. One, two, three. You're going to go to school this week. Woohoo! Worship the Lord. Be the best student you can be. Pay attention as much as you can. Learn as much as you're able. When you're in class, don't get distracted. When your teacher asks you for something, give the best answer you can. Or be a good friend. Make good choices. Because when you do, you need to understand that you are worshiping God. Finally, verse 3. So up until this point, the people of God have been speaking to the servants of God, stirring them up and encouraging them. And now... The servants of God are going to speak a benediction, a blessing upon the people of God as they're leaving, making their way back home. And what is it that they say? May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made the heaven and earth. I want you to understand that this is a condensed version of the high priest blessing that they would make upon the people of God, which is found in Numbers, 20, Numbers 6, 22 to 27, which says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This blessing that these priests are giving is a condensed version of this blessing. This blessing was given daily in the temple after the morning sacrifice. And now as the priests have been encouraged by the people of God and the people of God are going back home, they say this very same thing. The Lord bless you. From Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And this bless here is different from the bless in verse 1. This bless here is what God 
gives his people. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, knows what we, his people, need. Amen? And, and, and why are they giving this response to the people of God? Because what have the people of God done? The people of God have obediently left their homes and have come to Jerusalem to the temple to worship God. They have obeyed God's commands of coming and celebrating the festivals together as God's people to worship in the sanctuary, to come to God's house, to bring their tithes and offerings. And of course, what will God do? Because his people have obeyed, he will what? Bless his people. God will give us all that we need. He will reveal to us his purpose and his will through his word. He will guide us and lead us through his presence. Amen? And why is God blessing his people from Zion? Zion was another name for the city of Jerusalem. And what's in the city of Jerusalem? The temple. And what's in the temple? The most holy of holy places. And what's in the most holy of holy places? Anybody remember? The, which is what? The physical presence of God on earth. So what the priests are saying is, God will bless you from where he rests. Because you have come to God's resting places where his presence is. God will bless you from there because you have come to him. Are, are, you, are you with me? The Lord bless you from Zion. The Lord bless you from where his physical presence on earth rests. So that as you go back to your homes, God is going with you. That you're not going alone. That God's presence will go with you. And why will God's presence go with you? Because he is what? He is the one who made heaven and earth. So it's not just the fact that God blesses his people because his presence is in the temple. It's that God will go with his people as they go back because he is the one who has created everything. You see, God is the one who made everything. God is the one who has all the power. God is the one who knows everything. Where is God not? When we gather together and we worship and you lift up your hands as a surrender to God and other people see you in the church, guess what they think? Come on. There's my brother and my sister surrendering their life to God. When you're in service and you have your hands opened up or you lift up a hand or you lift up both, you're encouraging and stirring up your brother and sister to do the same, to stir up their own lives. One of the things I love about, my, about our church is this, that sometimes we're worshiping God and everything stops. You guys get what I'm saying? There's no more instruments. There's no more voices. Because we believe that we don't want the instruments and those people who are singing to drown out your worship. Why? Because we encourage and challenge one another to worship God when we hear each other's voices. When I hear my brother or sister singing to the Lord and worshiping him because he is worthy, it encourages me to do the very, very same. And that we gather together to worship God, to give him what he's worthy of doing, but no understanding that as we go, the Lord blesses us. And he blesses us because this is the place that we come and gather where his presence is, but he's going to be with us the, now, the next seven days as we go. Understanding that as we go, everything that we do is an act of worship unto God until we come back together again. And this is what the people of God are telling the priests. Listen, can you please worship God in this place until we come back again to the next festival? That's what they're saying. Please serve God. Worship him with your words and through your work and continue to do that because we're heading back home. But in the next few months, we're going to come back again. And when we come back again, we want to gather together again so that we can all worship together. But in the meantime, while we're not here, please do that on our behalf. And then the servants of God saying, yes, we will. And not only will we do that, but we're going to bless you. And because we know that from this place, because you've came and obeyed, God will bless you as you go back and God will be with you until you come back again. I wonder 
the moment we leave here, do we already long to be back here again? I wonder, and it's not because of this place, it's because we have the opportunity to gather together and to worship the Lord as his people. Why don't you stand with me? I know I talk a lot, but it's God's word. How encouraging it must be for us to look in each other's eyes and say, bless the Lord. For us to say, bless the Lord until next week. Hey, I expect you to worship and bless the Lord throughout the whole week. And I can't wait to be back together again to bless the Lord together. And I can't wait to sit next to you and to hear your voice singing to the Lord because when I hear you singing to the Lord, it encourages me to sing to the Lord. And you guys want one final thought? When we give our tithes and offerings, that is an act of worship. And you know when the bucket goes around and people see you put something inside of it, you know what you're telling them? I worship the Lord with my finances. Oh, but William, I give online. Really? I give online too. You know what I do? I do it every single Sunday for my seat there. You know why? Because I want everybody to see me worshiping God through my giving. Why? Because it's an act of worship. And it's a way that we encourage one another. Amen? And it's something that we should talk about with each other. The need to worship God. And to stir one another up. My friends, my brothers and sisters, we now have the opportunity to worship the Lord through our singing and through our giving. So please, this isn't the time to leave. This is the time to raise up your voices and sing. And children, please join us. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for encouraging us today to pay attention, to stay focused, to understand that what we do is not insignificant, but significant because we're doing it unto you. And that we're doing it unto you because we know who you are and what you have done for us. You are the Lord, Jehovah, the one true God, the one who is worthy of all of our praise, ad adoration, and worship. That you and you alone are worthy of being lifted up and exalted in our midst. And that we come before your holy place, lifting up our holy hands to you as a sign of surrender, understanding that all that we do, even our work, is an act of worship unto you. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us, that we as your people, as we leave here today, that you would bless us from this place, and that you would go with us, God. This is your promise. This is what we need. Lord God, help us give you all the praise that you deserve now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.